Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May the peace, mercy, and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon all of you. Welcome to Islam and Life, and thank you for welcoming us into your home this evening to share in these conversations and to share in these conversations every week. My name is Maimuna Hussain. We welcome you from our studio here on this live show tonight, Islam and Life. Uh, we want to remind you that uh, Islam and Life can also be found as a podcast um, across various platforms uh, that will be coming up across the bottom of your screen shortly. Um, and so, uh, of course, please share that share with your friends and your families uh, so that they can also benefit from these conversations, inshallah. Uh, also, that um, you can join us as well with your questions for our guests. So if you want to do that, you can find the Zoom information right at the bottom. As we begin, we begin with Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We begin in the remembrance and praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we begin anything that we hope will be of goodness insha'Allah. So let us begin with some recitation from the Holy Quran. من كان يريد ثواب الدنيا فعند الله ثواب الدنيا والآخرة وكان الله سميعا بصيرا يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا قوامين بالقسط شهداء لله ولو على أنفسكم أو الوالدين والأقربين إن يكن غنيا أو فقيرا فالله أولى بهما فلا تتبعوا الهوى أن تعدلوا وإن تلو أو تعرضوا فإن الله كان بما تعملون خبيرا يا أيها الذين آمنوا آمنوا بالله ورسوله والكتاب الذي نزل على رسوله والكتاب الذي أنزل من قبل ومن يكفر بالله وملائكته وكتبه ورسله واليوم الآخر فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا So those are verses from Surah Nisa, verse 134 to 135, which is translated as, whoever desires the reward of this world, then let them know that with Allah are the rewards of this world and the hereafter, and Allah is the all-hearing, all-seeing. O believer, stand firm for justice as witnesses for Allah, even if it is against yourselves, your parents, or close relatives, be they rich or poor. 
Allah is best to ensure their interests. So do not let your desires cause you to deviate from injust from justice. If you distort distort the testimony or refuse to give it, then I'll, then know that Allah is certainly all aware of all that you do. So I welcome uh, Brother Khalid Al-Qazaz back, who's joining uh, my co-host. Salaamu alaykum, Brother Khalid. How are you doing? Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's good to be back at the studio and uh, still suffering from the jet lag. But uh, I think, inshallah, we'll have an interesting conversation today. Inshallah. So we want to start with our critical question, which is the question that we ask all of you each week uh, to get us, you know, thinking and in conversation. And so tonight our question is, how can we continue to support victims of the earthquake in the long term as the media uh, attention starts to shift? Um, so I don't know if Brother Khaled, you want to comment on this at all? Yes, subhanAllah, it was, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me the opportunity to actually go and visit three of the affected cities at the heart of the uh, earthquake or the first few earthquakes. Now there are even more follow-up earthquakes. And uh, I just, I want to like uh, share an, a story uh, in uh, Karaman Mirish, one of, the, uh, basically was the city at the center of the earthquake uh, where there's so much destruction and rubbles and like entire neighborhoods have been uh, destroyed. But as we walked in into one of those neighborhoods, we met a group of uh, Syrian family, uh, Syrian uh, men who had lived uh, in this city for a while. And uh, subhanAllah, one of the men actually was uh, uh, a survivor. So they actually told us that they had he had been on the in the fifth floor on one of the destroyed, uh, uh, one of the destroyed uh, houses and they managed to pull him out. However, the, his, the rest of his entire family has uh, passed away. Almost seven members of the family passed away. But as, he, as they were explaining, uh, SubhanAllah, it, uh, they mentioned that uh, there was so much uh, assistance and food and care that was provided for them in the first eight days by so many different groups. But he's saying, like after the eighth day, the immediate assistance uh, started to decrease. And uh, uh, and then they started also to think about the next uh, steps. So what are they going to do? Because basically the entire livelihood and f uh, their houses their has been destroyed. But also uh, uh, in terms of what what are they going to do to continue to sustain their living and so on. So that's a continuous challenge that many uh, are suffering. Uh, to, uh, Turkish citizens or Syrians are living in in these parts of the, or, or, or many other nationalities who've been living in the southern parts of uh, of Turkey and also in the northern parts of uh, uh, Syria as well. And uh, that's a question actually that drove me to go all the way there and uh, and, uh, and and visit and discover the what can be done and how can we support, uh, how can we support our brothers and sisters past the attention and past that immediate uh, relief. We found uh, Subhanallah, uh, very good uh, solidarity from all over the from all over the world, particularly the Muslim world, and uh, people from all different parts have uh, contributed. Many organizations and the immediate relief has been taken care of, and the and the government actually has put in place systems to support people and support uh, the camps that were created and and the assessment of the buildings and the houses. There is so much immediate, but. Uh, one fails to think, okay, what happens next? So some of these, many of these families will take so much time to be relocated and placed and f and they will be uprooted from where they're living, where they created, where they had their lives into 
any other place, even if it's a good place to live, but it's still going to be a very different, uh, a very different place. So that idea of what, how are they going to sustain their living is a, is a big deal. How are they going to deal with this trauma? And now, especially many kids and people are traumatized with even these follow-up uh, uh, earthquakes. So how are we going to take care of their mental health and get them back into a, a functioning state that can uh, g- uh, get them going? And also there are schools are disrupted for many of them and and how can we uh, support their transition into back into the education system many many questions about the the medium and the long term not just the immediate uh, relief that is required of course all the attention now is on the immediate however some of us need to be thinking and need to be planning and need to be supporting uh, what they call early recovery and then full recovery uh, of these people inshallah and i think it is a good question to explore but also to expect to see our community as this they were in solidarity in the immediate but also to be in solidarity on the long and on the long run inshallah so if you have thoughts on this um, and uh, want to share with us, please uh, let us know, inshallah, your thoughts. Uh, you can find us on social media. Share, you'll see the critical question posted there. So please share. You can email us um, at productions at macnet.ca. Um, and let's engage in this conversation. So the question is, how can we continue to support victims of the earthquake in the long term as the media attention starts to shift? I also want to take this opportunity to remind you that uh, Mac is continuing to collect any donations that you want to make towards the earthquake um, and so that also uh, is available on our website so uh, if, if that's something that you would like to do please go ahead um, and that's donation page there that you can take a look at Okay, so uh, moving forward, inshallah, uh, just a reminder that this production is a production of the Muslim Association of Canada. Um, and uh, inshallah, it is meant to be a live conversation so that you can participate, send in your questions. You can do that either uh, through typing in your questions on the YouTube platform that you're watching us, or you can uh, s- send them in as w- or you can join us, sorry, live on Zoom. So you can find us on the chat room, uh, which is 905 That's the meeting code for Zoom. So let's go into tonight's conversation, inshallah. Um, So tonight we want to be talking a little bit about and getting into a conversation around the Islamic perspective on um, combating racism. And so uh, looking at the Islamic view of justice and uh, compassion amongst humanity and within humanity. And so to do that, let's take a look at what our research team has put together. Racism is among the most destructive ailments of the modern world. It is manifested in the form of various types of oppression and violence. The Islamic worldview asserts that all people, regardless of color, gender, or race, are born equal in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only characteristics that may raise or decrease in one's status are righteousness and God consciousness, known in Arabic as taqwa. The Prophet Muhammad emphasized this message in his farewell sermon, his final message to humanity before passing, by saying, Ya nasu ala inna rabbakum wahid wa inna abakum wahid ala la fadla l'arabiyyin ala a'jami wa la l'ajamiyyin ala arabi O people, certainly your Lord is one, your Father is one. An Arab has no virtue over a non-Arab, nor does a non-Arab have virtue over an Arab. 
A red-skinned person is not more virtuous than a dark-skinned person, nor is a dark-skinned person more virtuous than a red-skinned person, except through righteousness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the diversity of people on this earth in the Qur'an as one of his divine signs. In Surah Al-Rum, Allah says, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافُ أَلْسِنَتِكُمْ وَأَلْوَانِكُمْ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْعَالِمِينَ Among his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the diversity of your languages and your colors. Verily, in that are signs for people of knowledge. Islam rejects all forms of racism and bigotry, and it is the duty of each Muslim to act against all racist attitudes both within themselves and in their communities. The Prophet ﷺ's report have said, لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ دَعَى إِلَىٰ عَصَبِيَّةِ وَلَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ قَاتَلَ عَلَىٰ عَصَبِيَّةِ وَلَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ مَاتَ عَلَىٰ عَصَبِيَّةِ He is not one of us who calls to tribalism. He is not one of us who fights for the sake of tribalism. He is not one of us who dies following the way of tribalism. In Mecca, Malcolm X saw all kinds of people of different races and ethnicities united by the Hajj pilgrimage as one brotherhood. Reflecting on this observation, he wrote back to his friends in Harlem saying, America needs to understand Islam because this is the one religion that erases from its society the race problem. Throughout my travels in the Muslim world, I have met, talked to, and even eaten with people who in America would have been considered white, but the white attitude was removed from their minds by the religion of Islam. I have never before seen sincere and true brotherhood practiced by all colors together, irrespective of their color. In order to dismantle structures and systems that uphold any form of racism within our Muslim community or outside of it, Muslims must first and foremost recognize that Islam forbids any form of oppression and acting to combat injustice is an important aspect of the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some things Muslims can practically do to actively participate in the struggle for change are acknowledging the racism that exists even within the Muslim community, actively listening to the voices of minorities subject to racism within organizations and institutions, educating the crowds on the harms of racism and oppression, encouraging the representation of minorities subject to racism within organizations and institutions. Today we welcome our guests, Sister Tina Asifa, Senior Researcher at MAC, and Sister Nama Ali, Social Justice Activist and Educator, who will share in conversations with us as we take a closer look at the Islamic perspective on combating racism, and more particularly, the struggle of anti-black racism in our communities. All right, so we welcome our two guests tonight, inshallah, Sister Tina Asifa and Sister Ni'ma Ali, uh, both of who have uh, been engaging in social justice work within their communities and both who are educators uh, within um, the community, alhamdulillah, and leaders in both uh, spaces. So uh, we want to start with uh, some conversations on uh, racism and uh, there's two spaces that we want to go into, the individual and, as well as the community issues that we may want to uh, look into. And I'm going to ask Brother Khaled to start us off with this conversation and um, inviting Sister Tina's com comments. Okay, Jazakumullah Khairan. So as, as we said, this is a, for us as Muslims, this is an important subject and, and we have a role to play uh, internally as individuals and as a community uh, in combating uh, all forms of injustice and racism is one, one of them. And uh, uh, but before getting into the big 
big uh, picture we want to actually uh, see how does this feel at the individual level so if uh, and uh, we have among us uh, people who are uh, activists in a, in a way and educators who deal with these issues on 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 day to day basis and i'm glad to have uh, our sister uh, tina asifa uh, with us today and i want her to reflect uh, if she can reflect on her personal experience uh, especially with this compounded form of being uh, a black muslim woman uh, uh, within this bigger uh, wider pluralistic uh, society so how does how how do you feel it uh, as as a person as an individual Assalamu alaikum everyone. Wa alaikum um, it is painful. It is hurtful because usually when when it happens, you you expect better from people. You sometimes you hear racist comments and you you try to make an excuse, but after a while, it's almost like you know you have this extra radar that makes you feel differently uh, when certain things are said, and it makes you very uncomfortable on an individual level, right? Um, and to add to what you were saying, I also became Muslim. So I had a life before Islam where I didn't have hijab and I, I lived a certain way. And you, a, a lot of people correctly identified me or who know that I have an Ethiopian background. And I remember specifically times going to a store with my dad and him asking to buy a business suit and straight out the employer telling him he can't afford it. And I was so hurt by it because he just went and asked him, okay, do you have a size of this? And there was no pricing on it and how much is it? And so comments like that, where it's completely uncalled for, it, it hurts and it hurts to see my father having to go through it and him having to compose himself and answer specific way. Because if he doesn't answer that way, then it kind of builds that profile of you know, an angry black man. And then I become Muslim and I have, alhamdulillah, um, worn the hijab and sometimes people question if I'm black, right? They'd be like, oh, we didn't know you were black, right? As if there are not any um, Ethiopian or Sub-Saharan uh, Muslims that, um, uh, that, I, that are Muslims, but they happen to be black as well. So these kinds of comments, it, it makes you feeling um, uh, hurt and it makes you questioning um, why it's happening because some things don't make sense. It doesn't even make sense. For example, in the situation with my dad, why would he say that? Because my dad will be upset and not buy the suit, right? And in the situation of interacting with a Muslim, why would you start a conversation like that, right? So it's a very selfish way of going about things that intellectually doesn't make sense. And subhanAllah, inshallah, we'll get into it later on, I hope, in the show. Islam has actually a very high-level intellectual response to it, right? So this is part of the beauty of Islam and combating racism. Just a quick follow-up, and uh, Sister Tina or Sister Nemo might uh, be able to address this. And you mentioned uh, uh, an interesting uh, uh, analogy of uh, an additional raider. And uh, through family members uh, uh, and friends uh, from the black Muslim community, uh, they seem to uh, see or experience things that we don't usually uh, uh, live or, or, or feel sometimes. And, and, and that's an additional struggle or additional uh, aggression or microaggression sometimes that we cannot, we, we don't uh, necessarily pay attention to. Uh, 
can, can you share a bit about this so that people are able to really uh, appreciate this additional uh, sense of uh, alertness that uh, the, the, uh, our black Muslim uh, brothers and sisters uh, face? Um, Sister Nima, do you want to take it first and then? No, you can go ahead, Sister Tina, go ahead. Okay, all right. Um, well, you know, subhanAllah, you use the term uh, microaggression, right? Nowadays, um, in academia, there's a lot of these tools that have come out, right? Where language-wise, we're able to say, okay, this is microaggression and this is the beginning and end of microaggression. This is implicit bias and everything, right? Um, and subhanAllah, Nowadays, people have put words uh, uh, language around these phenomenons, but really, truly, um, on an individual level, right, someone knows when in their heart, and this is where the beautiful part of, about in Islam it comes in, because it takes it back to the individual to tell them, okay, this is when you're doing wrong. And the same way that that person is doing wrong, um, without even necessarily knowing, knowing this toolbox of implicit bias, microaggression, and all this stuff, um, for the person who's receiving it, who's in the receipt of it, um, they, they also understand that and know that, okay, these things are happening. But what is very important and beautiful part about Islam is, in Islam, we also understand hardship. This life is not easy, right? There's really difficult hardship that you have to go through. My dad, for example, came from a very small village in Ethiopia, made it all the way up to, mashallah, being a very high level paid person in the UN and then the World Bank and all these other places because he ignored people like this and persevered, right? And, and this is where, um, I, I don't know if I'm answered it completely, but yes, there are all these toolboxes, but the, the onus on us black people is, yeah, you know, it's to persevere and to go on despite all of this and not wait for the toolbox to become more um, intricate for you to let the system fix it for you. It, it's on us to go through it and knowing that there is hardship in this process. Jazakallah khair, Sister Tina. Inshallah, we'll continue the conversation. Uh, we seem to have lost Sister Nama, but hopefully she'll be able to join us back in shortly, inshallah. Um, so so you've started to kind of, you know, allude to this, and we want to talk about this uh, more in depth tonight in terms of uh, Islam's reaction to racism. Yeah. Uh, can we start with that and then maybe go more into in depth, inshallah? What is Islam's reaction to racism? Um, You know there is uh islam's reaction to be honest the reason why i love it so much is it makes it squarely solely on you the person doing the oppression on you the person doing the wrong thing telling you you know what this is your duty to do right and there's many a hadith you know the famous one with bilal you know when he insults one of the sahabas insulted him said oh you son of a black woman right and then to the extent that the Prophet got involved and look what he did right away, he belittled himself and he goes, you know, he wanted Bilal to step on him and, and, and rectify the situation because he saw in his heart, this is jahiliya. This is an ignorant stuff that does not make sense, right? Uh, the same example that I had given that salesperson, what he's doing is so ignorant. At the end of the day, it's not even transactionally beneficial to him, right? So 
Islam is telling it to you. It's saying, woe to you, you, the person who's doing it. It's your downfall at the end of it all, right? And this is why in Islam, um, it's telling you there's no... Uh, there's no difference between you and that the other person, whoever it is, except through righteousness, right? Nowadays, there's, um, you know, it, it's more of a postmodernist ideology where, you know, race and power, especially when you look at critical race theory and all these things that come in. But honestly, the those who look at the Islamic worldview, you'll find that fundamentally there are quite a bit of issues with these kinds of ideologies where if you only look at it and say, let the system fix it. It's a systematic problem and it's a power. Then it begs the question, who's going to equilibrate this? Who's going to make, you know, the outcome better? And is that person on Dean? Is that person doing what Allah wants them to do? Because fundamentally, it's going to go back to taqwa. And like what we did, uh, the little um, introduction that we did. Fundamentally, if there's no taqwa in the individual, how do you expect many people who don't have that taqwa in a system to make it better, right? So that's what I love about Islam. It takes it back to the individual and say, you are responsible. Glad Sister Nemo is back and uh, and it's good to, to have you with us on the screen, Sister uh, Nemo. And uh, uh, maybe you can uh, carry on the conversation around uh, how does, uh, how do you actually uh, uh, benefit from Islam uh, in this uh, almost uh, daily struggle to combat racism as an individual? Like, how does it help you? How does it help you build resilience? Does it help you th see things differently? Does it help you approach things differently uh, uh, as uh, as the strong sister Nemo that we, that we know? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm sorry for the technical issue and uh, thank you, Sister Tina, for carrying on. I think this is a very important conversation and I'm glad that most of the hadith and the ayat has been really um, uh, researched and uh, posted from your team. That's really wonderful. It carries on the conversation. So for us to, um, for me at least personally, to add in the perspective of the story is this is something we practice every day. For example, on Sunday, I had a board meeting and I'm board of the directors of one of the organizations in Ottawa. And um, we came at the door. I came at the door and the door was locked. Uh, somebody came out and they said, oh, sorry, ma'am, the door is locked. Just wait. So as I waited, um, another board member who is uh, a white Canadian male came. So the person who said to me a minute ago, who was just going to their car and said, um, I cannot let you in. Somebody else has to come from outside, took out her key when she noticed this other board member was going and let us in both. So as I was going in, I was telling the other board member, hmm, that's very interesting. When you came, we both got the key to go in. So there is those nuances and subtle statements at the beginning i took the statement when the person tells you wait okay it's a building security you might have to wait but when it comes that you know another person comes and they was let in then it comes is it my hijab is it the color of my skin why was i not let in so those are many you know systematic racisms or small uh microaggressions you know forget about the bigger ones that our kids um uh, you know, experience every day. And as your team outlined, I think for us, um, you know, the exit strategy for me and what I tell my kids and my students is that Islam gives you tools of how to deal with that. You know, you don't give 
uh, the power to people. You give the you underline the power Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it to you. Which means going back to the qadr and qada, like if you don't get something, if you don't receive something, remember if all people, you know, the Prophet wasallam gather together to take away something from you, they cannot take away unless it was not destined, it was not qadr. So it is important to release that tension and say, you know, first of all, remember that, you know, if Allah wants something for you, no one can take away. So you have that power. And the other thing is also for our Muslims, brothers and sisters, to really stand up for justice, stand up for fairness. Uh, don't be a bystander. If you see something, say something. Same as in the airports, they will tell you. Um, so give it a voice. So if you see a sister being treated different because of the, you know, uh, that I, I would have expected that board member when I told the story at least, because I didn't want to keep it inside. I want to have a healthy heart for him to say, these are things that we need to address. So we all have responsibility. We all have masuliyah to really uh, take an action. And, and I really like one of the ayahs that your team um, outlined it, ended with, you know, in akaramakum indallahi atqakum, for us to know, because a lot of times when people, when you are, when you experience racism, when you experience discrimination, sometimes you build self-doubt many times and you're like, why me? Why am I different? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to work harder than anyone else? So it is important to really build your self-esteem, connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to know that you have a God-given dignity. And that taqwa and that power that comes within helps you to reach out for help. There is many brothers and sisters that if you share with your experience and your challenge, will tell you, no, 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 not in my watch, not in my organization. This is not happening. So we need to empower and we need to be courageous. And I'm not talking about wizard of, wizard of Oz courageous, but Islamically courageous like the Prophet wasallam told us. As I disconnected and I came back, I noticed that Atina was talking about when the Abu Darda said that statement to Bilal and how the Prophet wasallam not only did he address, but he actually called investigated, listened to Bilal's side of the story and taught a lesson Abu Darda what he needs to do until both of them came to a resolution afterwards and they healed their heart. So that's what we all have to do. Sister Naima. Um, I want to ask you, I, you know, Sister Tina started this conversation, perhaps going a little bit more into this, uh, which is that, you know, societally, so we, we recognize that racism exists. And so you have all these movements that are starting to come up, whether it's Black Lives Matters or, you know, uh, all of this. So how does how does the Islamic perspective, the Islamic duty and the Islamic approach to combating racism differ from some of these, uh, you know, mainstream movements that we're seeing? Uh, for me, or? Yes, go ahead, Sister Tina. Okay. Uh, for me, I, I find uh, specifically uh, the BLM movement to be more performative. There's a lot of optics, right? Um, it is fundamentally a a business interaction. They've raised a lot of money, but even if you were to see where the, the big, uh, they became more mainstream after the murder of George Floyd, 
they haven't really done a lot in the neighborhood. They haven't really addressed the root causes, right? Um, so there's a lot of these uh, performative actions that are taken, but at the end of the day, nothing has changed. I mean, to be frank, uh, growing up, I used to be like, oh, you know, uh, February is the shortest month of the year. It's Black History Month. Uh, you go back and me coming from a very proud African father, um, me being an Ethiopian, a country that had not been formally co colonized, right? I have my great grandfathers who fought uh, off the Italians. Um, and so we had a, a very strong personality about us, right? Um, but when you look at these movements that come out, they're, they're not addressing the root causes. They're not really fundamentally empowering the, the community, right? Versus the Islamic uh, community, sorry, the Islamic response, namely, it's what like the and Hadith, that Hadith captures it so beautifully, right? It's about making Abu Darda understand and take responsibility. And his, his responsibility, you could see, there was an understanding where he said, that's Jahiliya, and this is now, and this is better. And I'm going to make it better with the person I oppressed, right? And this is what is so powerful with the Islamic way of doing things. It doesn't matter which institution out there, you know, um, is spewing these ideologies and, and trademarks. At the end of the day, what is happening on the ground between those people? And that's where Islam is at. And frankly speaking, that's why a lot of people are converting into Islam, right? Because it speaks to that inner person when you close your bedroom door and you question yourself you're like aha this is it this is what islam has an answer to it right and you say this sister tina as a black muslim woman uh, 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 as a reflection to uh, uh, this uh, uh, huge movement that actually has impacted uh, uh, many people and actually has also drawn attention to uh, racism uh, particularly against the uh, against the black communities in in, uh, in North America, and if I shift to uh, Sister Nima on this particular uh, on this particular point, uh, and as an educator and as you deal with uh, with uh, students, uh, basically, what is your advice really? Because we feel that sometimes uh, fighting for injustice, and particularly in this context of uh, uh, black racism, combating black racism. Uh, we, fee we, we, we find even within our community people following whatever is trending out there that they are paying attention to uh, black racism when it is Black History Month when it is uh, when there is a campaign on when there is an, uh, an aggression against uh, a, bla a black individual but uh, how do we, how do we uh, teach our students otherwise and how do we make them connected to the cause uh, versus uh, what what we're what we're pushed to uh, to follow or to support. That is really an important question, Khair, um, Brother Khaled. Um, I think not only Black Lives Matters. There is even though they are a huge organization, there are many other movements who tried to fight. Um, you know, these injustice policies and racism, but at the end of the day, no policies can fully cure the issues that exist today. It might minimize. One thing we're sure we 
know 100% is that at least personally, as a Muslim, I believe that Islam has the ultimate solution uh, when it comes to the racism, to eliminate it um, and to completely get rid of it. Uh, and as Muslims, if we don't pay attention to that, we fail our religion and we fail our children. For example, three main points that I think 100% is um, cure to racism that Islam underlines is number one, the justice. And that was in the opening um, ayah. I think it's a surah to Nisa, um, ayah 134, or I wrote it somewhere. And it underlines not only the definition of, of justice, but how to carry justice. Uh, from individual level to family level to community to government. And if we don't, that is a, a clear uh, policy and procedure that we can follow. The second thing I think Islam underlines is, is that uh, for us to uh, love each other and uh, in order for us to be ummah, in order for us to be brothers and sisters, and of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Right, and we cannot, we are brothers and sisters. So, how can we, brothers and sisters, if we don't love each other, if we don't pay it, and we cannot love each other until we actually learn and ta'aruf and you know, what, what do you like? What is your challenges? What are you going through? What are the things that, what are the obstacles on your way that preventing you to succeed as a Muslim sister, as a Muslim brother, as a Muslim child? What, what, what is your challenge as a Muslim community? Not just to say, oh, they're this, they're that. It is our responsibility. Same as the people in the family. We don't just work and pay the bills. We go home and we're supposed to care and talk to our children. So we have the same responsibility to our Muslim, um, um, Muslim, uh, Muslim, our Muslim brothers and sisters in the black community to, to say that your struggle is my struggle. How can I help? So that's the second one, love, compassion, treating each other like the Prophet ﷺ said that we are really truly. And the last one is that to be really responsive, right? The least we can do is uh, um, um, you know, the, the Surah Al-Asr, I tell the kids that's a D minus Muslim. Just, you know, do the minimum. Say something. Don't be a bystander. So at least to, uh, you know, if you see injustice, say something. And if you uh, see somebody who needs a support, support. Then I think if we are responsive, if we are have a love and compassion for each other, and we if we stand up for justice, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, then we have a good uh, strategy and good tools in our toolbox to fight and eliminate racism. Maybe not in the world, but we can start in our lives, in our community, in our city, and create a ripple effect, inshallah. Sister Netma, those are a really beneficial practical advice that you've get shared with us. I just want to remind our viewers, our topic tonight is combating uh, combating racism um, through an Islamic lens. And so if you want to engage with our speakers tonight, you're welcome to do so by sending in your questions on YouTube. Uh, you can just type it in in the chat box there. Or you can find us on Zoom. And our meeting room code is 905 822 
1-800-242-0826 and you'll be able to ask your questions live to our guests tonight, inshallah. Sister Nim, I want to pick up from uh, where you left off, which is, you know, the practical pieces around what we can do uh, locally and, you know, grow from there concentrically uh, to combat Islamophobia. The piece I want to uh, also look at is that if we want to, uh, you know, honestly look in internally as well, as a Muslim community, uh, you know, where Islam is a perfect message and we know, we know how to address Islamophobia, uh, sorry, how we know uh, how to address uh, the, these issues of racism. Um, we're not, a, you know, Muslims, uh, we're, we're all trying to practice Islam in the best way that we can, but we also have our shortcomings. And so uh, racism is also one of those issues that, you know, we need to talk about uh, from an internal perspective as well. And uh, how do we do that? And how, how can we be constructive about it and, you know, look at this, uh, you know, where it exists and what we need to do about it? So uh, any one of you, if you're, uh, you know, able to... Can I just add a dimension to this sure. uh, question, if you allow me? And uh, because really I see so many uh, extreme reactions, uh, particularly with this uh, question. So we, we, we see reaction within the community that basically denies that racism exists. We do not see color in Islam and this, is, this does not exist in our community from one end. But on the other end, uh, some people also raise the blame flag to, to an extent that you feel that Islam actually drives people to be racist or Muslim communities and Muslim community centers and boards and stuff are that extreme in uh, basically in stating uh, racism as a, a pillar in the community. So these are two huge, uh, two extremes and uh, uh, we, we rarely find a, like a balanced voice that addresses the exact issue and attempts to provide uh, clear solutions. So uh, so uh, we hope to find this uh, this uh, uh, among both of you, inshallah. Uh, Sister Nema, do you want to start? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I'm laughing because you know this is this is so common. This happens everywhere, and I think it's not only the topic of racism. It's always it's always all those topics we call difficult conversations, right? So it is important as a Muslim community who is very diverse and, you know, living in the West, there are many, many um, difficult conversations that are coming up, including racism. So it's important for, you know, um, for the people who are non-Blacks to really put their guard down and just listen listen to the people's experience um, don't just minimize it don't disregard it don't decide and say it doesn't exist come with a listening ear and tell say t be curious and say tell me more how does that affect you and then may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open your heart and then you would understand what this person is actually going through and i think those of us uh, um, muslim black community who's going through this we have many trauma and sometimes we're super sensitive and sometimes we suffer a lot of trauma and there's many times that our gut feeling and what we experience is 100 percent true and there's many times it it's possible we might be overreacting. So it is important for us to find a balance and not use the, you know, canceling everybody, shaming everybody, fighting everybody, because ultimately we want to bring back the Muslim Ummah together. We are brothers and sisters, and this is the beauty of Islam. If our common ground is we are family, 
you know you, you we can't the word family um you cannot disregard your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister they're all important even though we annoyed the heck out of each other right we take a break but we'll come back to the conversation so as long as we know we're family nobody's going anywhere uh nobody's disregarded and their life is less important than the other person as long as we stay in that difficult conversation that we have to find a balance not to attack embarrassed cancel the person listen why they think racism doesn't exist and the other part to do the same so that might help sister tina i don't know if you want to add to this as well Yes, you know, uh, interestingly, there there was a research done recently by the Black Muslim Initiative, and they had put out some key recommendations on this. They had done a pretty comprehensive research, uh, specifically more around Muslims, uh, Black Muslims within uh, uh, Canada, right? And one of the kids, they had put out several recommendations, and to add a, and and lean in on what the Nimat was saying. Uh, the first thing that they were saying is acknowledging that there is anti-Black racism does exist indeed in the Muslim community, um, actively listening to Black Muslim voices within the organization, which is something that we just spoke about, um, education and training in anti-Black racism and anti-oppression. And these do not need to lean in or utilize um, ideologies that are not in line with the Islamic worldview because subhanallah our religion is complete and issues of racism did exist as we mentioned with the hadith with abu darda and bilal um it did exist before and there are ways uh that it, it could be combated right um and you know to speak of uh bilal ralian who was uh the, the caller of the adhan he was also put in charge of, of finances and bursaries so there's positions of trust that the Prophet specifically had put in um, black Muslims or darker skinned Muslims as well. So this is just to show you that in Islamic history, there are ample examples of that. Um, and then also representation is another very big thing, you know, um, again, to nitpick on, you know, equity, diversity and inclusion is something that is so big and everywhere. And but then look at this toolbox and the way it's being disseminated. Sometimes when people don't have that taqwa, it doesn't matter what toolbox they're bringing in because it goes into this tokenism, right? And there's a lot of pushback that happens because um, just the way that it's just superficial and and, and it's, it's all about the optics, right? So um, representation is good. Uh, another thing is uh, to have procedures of accountability. So it's one thing now, it's Black history. We're talking about it. Okay, what about March? What about April? How do we address these issues moving forward? So having that transparency, and we know what it is because all of us in our professional life, we talk about accountability and we know how to make sure there's checks and balances put in place, right? So these are some of the key recommendations that they had put forward that I think are very sound and one that um, uh, makes sense. <laughs> and along the lines, uh, uh, along the lines that you've both mentioned now, I think uh, reflecting on the transformative journey of uh, Malcolm X, Hajj Malik Shabazz, uh, especially as it was uh, uh, quoted from in his uh, uh, speech 
uh, or reflection on the Hajj experience, uh, uh, we see that transformation that is actually built on a uh, transformation into a truly Islamic uh, worldview uh, versus the different uh, perspectives that he had prior to this uh, transformative experience. And I believe uh, shedding light on, on that transformation is is a good segue to understand how Islam deals with with the issue of racism and how do uh, the, the outlook towards all people. Uh, and I believe what he has uh, pinpointed in this Hajj experience that it is no longer uh, uh, dealing with like the, the, the question of dealing with uh, injustice or trying to promote justice and uh, uh, is not directed against a particular race. It is directed against uh, action and this specific actions that come out of, uh, of racism and that the solution is actually to look at uh, the, the entire population have a, and a collective responsibility and a collective, uh, and a collective, and a collective duty. This is what I reflect on when I when I when I uh, uh, read these words of uh, of Malcolm X. Uh, do you have any any uh, reflections on he, on this transformative journey of uh, Hajj Malik uh, Shabazz? Sister Nema, go ahead. I was pointing Sister Tina to go first. <laughs> um. SubhanAllah, you know, uh, Malcolm X is, is someone that is uh, very close to, to a lot of us, his journey uh, and what he, the insight that he brought in. Um, I, I see the same thing that you see, Brother Khalid. Um, it's that he had a lived-in experience of Islam in a surrounding that had so much barakah. He was in Mecca and then, um, so when he penned it, you could see the sincerity in what, and you could see the contrast, the sharp contrast in his words. And if you read a lot of his essays that later on, even from Egypt and from his other trips in Africa that he wrote, you could see the stark difference that pulls out. And it just, it's very self-evident where it's coming from, right? And that that's simply um, the ayah that we had mentioned in our opening uh, research piece, which is fundamentally uh, we're just competing to be righteous, right? And righteousness has been uh, defined clearly for us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And th there's benchmark, there's everything that has been set for us and there's standards that we could follow and it's so easy to follow. It's just the heart that, that could drag you away from that. So um, for me, I see the same thing and the same... Uh, uh, points that jump out at me as well. And um, that's what I wanted to mention. Yeah. Um, Allah Max is, is amazing for his story. I think one of the statements that stick with me, I think, um, I don't know if it's a true one or just a Hollywood movie one, uh, but uh, I cannot go from um, hate to a hate. A hate of a black man is what we experience and now I don't want to go to a hate of a white man right so and for him going to the Hajj is finding that balance that as a person who's born and raised in Islam like little things that I never looked at it that was like mind-blowing for him how 
everybody lines up and prays in that Kaaba together, regardless of the color of their skin. And I'm like, wow, you know, th those are big things that we need to contemplate, right? Um, so th those are really simple but huge concepts that uh, for me uh, um, resonated. And, you know, as humans, it's normal people to, and, and we see that in the seerah and how the Prophet ﷺ tackle people who are, in competition and these questions and who is better and who is this and who is that and the Prophet ﷺ answered it and what I love about our religion is we have the answers of those big theological questions you know here's the purpose of life if you want to be the best this is you know how you can be the best and these are the diseases that you should stay away from and it's ignorance and it's degrading and it will lead you to a hellfire and some of those diseases are racism so our muslim community has to realize uh, racism is a sin racism it kills racism destroys and it's what breaks down muslim communities as well and sometimes that it's not only kills and the person is here but it really kills the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the emotion and it creates a lot of diseases of the heart so if we are in in you know 20 23rd uh, century 20th century we want to build the ummah back together and build our sisterhood and brotherhood we need to fight the disease of racism and use the tools that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the prophet sallallahu gave it to us because we have a lot of them in the toolbox i want to as we end tonight i want to um pick up from this and I want to ask you both uh, for some practical pieces around uh, just as you said there's all these tools in our toolbox uh, how do we both of you are educators both of you are mothers mashallah um, how do we do this with our children how do we um, actually uh, build them to you know children are born with a natural and a beautiful fitra and so obviously somewhere along the line, some sort of socialization happens and this racism and these seeds somehow, you know, they, they take form. So how do we actually uh, do this work um, preventatively, inshallah? Sister Tina, we can't. Sorry about that. That's okay. um, Please go ahead. I, I was saying, I think language matters. The language that we use as parents to describe what is beautiful, what is um, dangerous or not dangerous, right? I think these things we need to take uh, attention to, whether we're saying it, whether it's in the books that they read or in the movies that they watch, and to have a conversation around that as people that occupy trusted spaces that have trusted voice to let them know that, you know what, this is not correct. Do you know what I mean? And and to show you, um, I remember once, um, so I have two older daughters, one of them, um, she, she was in the gym, like I came to pick her up from school and there was an after school program. And then she goes, mommy, mommy, that boy did something to me. And I was like, which one? She goes, the green one. And I was like, there's no green human beings. Like, who is she talking to? But in my daughter, like in what you're saying, the fitra aspect, she was just looking at his shirt, right? She wasn't going to describe him by his skin color. It was going to be the green boy, right? So uh, it just kind of shows you that it goes a long way. But, you know, when certain language is used, like, uh, you know, the black boy, the dangerous one, then 
there's these kind of negative associations that come in. There's tons of studies done on it, right? As parents, we, we know where we need to be careful. And, and that's the beautiful part about Islam. It takes it back to you and says you yourself, where is your heart seated in this, right? Vis-a-vis this conversation that you have, these movies, sometimes this is the music or whatever that it is. I think as parents, this is where you kind of lead by example. Um, how many friends do you have that are, are from different communities, right? Do you go and share food together? Do you do activities? Then people will be like, you know, your kids will grow up saying, you know what, we're the same. Fundamentally, we're the same, right? Um, and this is what ideally we want um, uh, to do and show to our children in our homes. Sister Nima, uh, uh, following up on this uh, uh, important question, uh, we want to avoid uh, two extremes as well and, and, uh, and build uh, uh, or nurture uh, children and young people who, who, uh, who are as strong as, you, as, as both of you uh, here today. And the extremes I'm referring to is one basically where uh, 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 an immediate reaction to this uh, internalized racism is to attempt to amalgamate or just dissolve into whatever surrounding is there and accept this tokenization and just basically blend in without uh, having this, uh, without, without distinction. And the other extreme is a resentful, angry experience uh, or angry uh, reaction uh, from all this uh, over uh, emphasis on, uh, uh, from all of this uh, extreme form of racism as well. And so how do we build this strong, resilient middle uh, where, where they are proud of their identity, proud of who they are, and are uh, basically uh, 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 part of this, the, the solution at the individual level and at the community level as well? Uh, Brother Khalid, important and heavy questions as, as usual. Um, I think that, um, you know, it is important to underline, f- for me at least personally, I'm not as strong. Uh, I think I just learned how to voice my opinion, seek for help. So we're all in a, in a different level of um, growth. And uh, some people there might not at a point that I was 15, 20 years ago to say, no, this is wrong. So it is important to know that, you know, everybody is at, at, at a different level. So if the two categories that you explain for the person who's going through the experience, I think of, of racism and discrimination, and um, they're going through that resentment and upset, and sometimes it affects their mental health. We see many youth, uh, you know, who are affected by this. Uh, they might affect their education, they may affect their work performance. So it is important to know. And then, then some of them, if you ask that question, that they feel alone, they, they don't feel connected to the masjid, they don't feel connected to the community center, they, or they don't feel welcome, that is their experience. So it's important for them to talk to an adult, but also to know that, uh, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always with you. For them to know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised in the Quran that whatever that you are going through a challenge, if you turn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, if you increase your taqwa, if you're mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
absolutely 100% Allah will open doors for you and guide you and protect you. So to really give those tools and a promise that there is a higher power that created all of us, those of us who are paying attention, those of us who are not paying attention. So connect your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at least to, to ease their uh, pressure. And if they connect to Salah, if they connect to, uh, you know, Quran, if they start watching YouTube videos and the sheikhs that they prefer, if they tune in this amazing show and, and you know, come to Mac conferences, at least they will gain their inner strength and their inner power and connect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that might help. Others who are ignorant about it, I think it is important to, the best way to break the vicious cycle of discrimination and ignorance is education. So it is important to educate ourselves. For example, there are one of the last book that was published, maybe it's not the last anymore, is a book called Beyond Bilal. And Harvard uh, graduate, uh, Muslim graduate, uh, I think he's from West Africa, uh, published and he outlines all the amazing uh, black Muslims. And also it's evident many sheikhs now talk about how Africa really saved Islam, you know, and, and nurture. And it was one of the first hijras. And we're always talking about East Africa and Abyssinia. So I think as leaders and as educators and as uh, community organizers, it's important to shed light of the African history, the contribution of uh, African Muslims and black Muslims in, in Islam, how they protected Muslims, how they nurture Islam and how Islam benefited from that. And I think that education may, may help those, uh, you know, children or the families or the individuals who are not, you know, very well equipped in that education. So education does help, inshallah. Thank you both for this really important and engaging conversation. I think I, as we end tonight, I don't know if Brother Khalid, if you want to add anything, inshallah. No, Jazakumullah Khair. I think I enjoyed the conversation with uh, both of them and it opens doors uh, to uh, more uh, exploration about uh, how Islam combats uh, racism. We focus today on uh, black uh, racism, but we know that the collective responsibility that uh, Muslims have is to combat all forms of uh, uh, injustices and all forms of racism and to stay connected on this cause on these causes until it is removed at least in their own uh, in their own spheres or in their own uh, circles because that's the, that's the duty and that's the obligation and that's how islam has an internal mechanism to keep uh, this harmony and uh, uh, goodness within uh, within the different uh, uh, societies and is not waiting uh, for a system or a structure or even a state to uh, to intervene. It is the individual and the collective responsibility uh, that's uh, within. And uh, we're always happy to have uh, Sister Tina and Sister Nema with us and in these conversations. And inshallah, we, uh, we will continue having them. So just a reminder, every Thursday night, inshallah, Islam and life, join us live, inshallah. Um, and uh, we will see you next week. Brother Khalid, if you have a closing dua, please.
Islam in Life is an online production by the Muslim Association of Canada.